thank you to the Workers' Party of Britain for putting on this event in, in solidarity with the people of Yemen. It's a great honor to be among you all. Uh, Yemen should be making headline news every single day for the sheer brutality being inflicted upon its people. But instead, the war is not only ignored by the corporate media, but also subject to big tech censorship of the type that Jyoti mentioned. So our website, uh, YemenSolidarity.org, is banned on Facebook, by the way. Uh, the reason for this media blackout, however, is extremely easy to understand. There is no conceivable humanitarian pretext to justify the war on Yemen, and any public discussion about Yemen would soon lead millions of people around the world to ask the question, why are the richest and most powerful states on earth inflicting collective punishment on a nation of 27 million people that even prior to the conflict was one of the poorest nations on earth and a nation that relied prior to the conflict on imports for 90% of its food? There is no humanitarian pretext for why the Saudis and Emiratis have recruited over 100,000 mercenaries from the poorest countries in the world to fight in Yemen. There is no humanitarian pretext for why the Anglo-American powers, that is the US, the UK, Canada, and Australia in particular, have all contributed towards training the Saudi Navy to enforce this genocidal blockade on the Yemeni people. And there is no humanitarian pretext for why arms industries across the world have profited from selling billions of dollars worth of deadly equipment that are being used against the Yemeni people. The Saudis spend around $200 million per day committing this genocide. So this is not a David versus Goliath conflict. This is a David versus 1,000 Goliaths conflict. And when this conflict ends, it's highly likely that the final death toll will be counted, not in the hundreds of thousands, but, but in the millions. So despite these incredible odds um, and despite the, the, the weapon of mass starvation being employed against them, the Yemeni national resistance is winning. And this is very, very inspirational. So it's important to know their story. So what do I mean by the Yemeni national resistance? I'm talking, of course, about the National Salvation Government of Yemen, based in the capital Sana'a, which represents a coalition of, po uh, of, of political movements, most importantly Ansarullah, which is also known as the Houthi movement. Um, on the odd occasion that you do see Yemen being covered in the media, they frame the conflict by saying that the US-Saudi alliance is helping the so-called legitimate government of Yemen defeat the so-called Iranian-backed Houthi rebels. But this framing is completely absurd. The president of this so-called legitimate government resigned from office before the war began. He then traveled to Saudi Arabia, claiming he was still the president of Yemen and that Saudi Arabia was acting on his behalf. Two years later, the Saudis placed him under house arrest, and we haven't heard a word from him since. This framing is absurd because around 83% of the fighting force of the so-called official government of Yemen is comprised of foreign mercenaries, whereas the Yemeni national resistance led by the Ansarullah movement is 100% comprised of Yemeni, Yemenis, and it's, and it's referred to, despite this, it's referred to as being Iranian-backed, as if there's something foreign about them. The reason for this absurd framing is legality, the legality embodied in UN Resolution 2216, which was passed in April 2015. This resolution was co-sponsored by the US, Britain, and France. Russia and China could have vetoed this resolution, but they chose not to, thereby contributing to the, to the legalization of the war on Yemen in the eyes of the UN Security Council, unfortunately. And, and that 
uh, that really shows that what's what's legal isn't always moral and, and that which is moral isn't always legal. So Yemen has been resisting imperialism since the 17th century uh, when the armies of the Ottoman Empire invaded because they wanted to occupy Yemen for its strategic position as the naval gateway to, to India and the trading networks of the Indian Ocean more broadly. After the Ottomans were defeated in World War I, the British Empire started arming and funding the Saudis to invade Yemen in 1934. The plan was that Britain would control South Yemen, which it had controlled since the, 19, since the 19th century. And the plan was that the British would help the Saudis to invade and conquer North Yemen. But that plan failed because of the resistance of the Yemeni people. The Yemenis beat back the Saudi invasion force, and in South Yemen, the people kicked out the British and established a Marxist-Leninist republic, in, um, which became you know, South Yemen. So fast forward to the 1970s. North Yemen has a modernizing Arab nationalist president called Ibrahim al-Hamdi. And he's, he continues to be deeply respected in Yemen today. Um, but in 1977, he was assassinated. And this was a tragedy. We now know that the Saudis were responsible because they wanted to keep Yemen weak and divided. And that's a major part of the story. The assassination paved the way. That is the assassination of, uh, of Ibrahim al-Hamdi. paved the way for the 34-year reign of Ali Abdullah Saleh. And on his watch, Yemen was transformed into a virtual colony of Saudi Arabia. And it was transformed into a colony that provided cheap labor for the Saudi economy as well. The Saudis proceeded to spread Wahhabi, Salafi ideology across Yemen. And with that ideology, they were able to recruit Yemeni mercenaries to join the ranks of Al-Qaeda in the so-called jihad against the socialist Soviet-backed government of Afghanistan. After the unification of North and South Yemen in 1990, these Yemeni al-Qaeda mercenaries, they returned to Yemen. They were then unleashed against the Yemeni Socialist Party that had previously ruled South Yemen. Here it must be remembered that one of the few Yemeni politicians who had the courage to speak out against the violent jihadist al-Qaeda persecution of the South Yemeni socialists and Marxists was a man called Hussein al-Houthi. And he ended up becoming the founder of the Ansarullah movement until he was brutally murdered in 2004 by the Saleh regime on the orders of the United States. After the Yemeni Socialist Party had been completely crushed, the pro-Saudi regime of Ali Abdullah Saleh turned on the Houthis. So the irony of calling the Houthis rebels in this situation is that the Houthis actually never took up arms against the Yemeni state. It was the Yemeni state that took up arms against the Houthis in 2004. In fact, according to the RAND Corporation, the Houthis were acting within the boundaries of the laws and constitution. That's a direct quote. This is a think tank that advises the US military, so you can't accuse it of being biased in favor of the Houthis. They say that it was not until the US government pressured Saleh, that's the former president of Yemen, that he began cracking down on the Houthis. In other words, before the revolution, Yemen was ruled by the type of government that responded to a peaceful political movement with military force because that's what the West wanted them to do. And because the war against Ansarullah was unpopular with the Yemeni people, they had to increasingly rely on using al-Qaeda militants to do the fighting. From 2004 to 2010, the old Yemeni government, the collaborationist pro-American, pro-Saudi Yemeni government, waged six wars to crush the Ansarullah movement. But every time they tried, they not only failed, but the Ansarullah movement got stronger and stronger. Ansarullah belonged 
to the Zaidi branch of Islam. They see themselves as the Sunnis of the Shia and the Shia of the Sunnis, like a bridge to, to bring harmony between the two sects of Islam. The Zaidis are the revolutionaries of Islam, and their core political belief is that Muslims have an obligation to rebel against corrupt and unjust rulers. So when you combine this with Arab nationalism, you get the Ansarullah movement. During the Arab Spring, to appease the Yemeni people, the U.S. and Gulf monarchies stepped in to replace the old president with a new president. But the new president turned out to be Fawas, and that's Abdurrahman Mansur Hadi. Hadi tried to divide Yemen into six pieces so that they could separate the resource-rich regions with small populations from the resource-poor regions with large populations. And this was done to serve the interests of Saudi Arabia as, as the, the, the brave journalism of, of, um, of Julian Assange and WikiLeaks revealed. And the reason they did this is because they wanted the untapped uh, uh, or the potential wealth of Yemen to be controlled more easily by them, by the Saudis. The Saudis wanted and the Americans wanted a weak and divided Yemeni state. Had he also slashed the fuel subsidies, um, which, which caused inflation to rise by 200%. And because of this, by September 2014, Ansarullah had become so popular that the Yemeni state and, and army defected to the side of the Houthi revolution. So this is the only revolution to live up to the stated principles of the Arab Spring, but it's been completely ignored by the same forces, the same people, the same social movements, the same imperial cruise missile leftists who supported the fake revolutions in Libya and Syria. There's another reason the Western corporate media can't talk about this war, and that's because the U.S. is on the same side as Al-Qaeda and Islamic State in Yemen. This is the dirty secret that they don't tell you. This is why there are voices in the U.S. military even that, that are being completely ignored. And these voices, they favor the, the, the Ansarullah movement, surprisingly enough, because they've been told for the past two decades that the U.S. is fighting al-Qaeda when, in fact, the U.S. has collaborated with al-Qaeda to destabilize the Arab world. Those who live in the West should be offended that our ruling classes constantly lie to us about their justifications for these extremely wasteful wars. That being said, the change of administration in the United States offers new opportunities for campaigning to end the war on Yemen. This is because in April 2019, the U.S. Congress, they, they, they voted to end U.S. support for the war, but it was vetoed by, by the outgoing President Donald Trump, which is perhaps the single most evil act of his administration. Biden has promised to end U.S. support for the Saudi-led war on Yemen, and so in this climate, it's extremely important to maintain the pressure on this administration to force them to live up to their promise. We should also be calling on the on on we should also be calling for the international recognition of the national salvation government of Yemen as the legitimate government of Yemen, because if that happens, then this war becomes automatically illegal and millions of lives can be saved. So to finish up, this is an immoral genocidal war and the vast majority of humanity, the 99%, has an interest in supporting Yemeni national liberation. Thank you very much.